So this morning's a little bit different than normal. There's going to be a quiz. So as soon as the ushers are done collecting the tithe, uh, they'll bring in your your forms. And uh, you can use a pen. It's best if you have a number two pencil. Um, but we'll make do. So I want you to make sure each of you get a copy of this quiz. I don't even have the questions on it because it's such a pop quiz. I don't even want to distract you with the questions until we get there. But my goal is this morning is to help you participate in, in the, the scripture a little bit. You're not going to turn it in. It's not really a quiz. Okay. There's always a few point grubbers that are like, what do I need to study? What do I need to study? Relax. We're going to be in 2 Timothy. So if you please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. It's an open book quiz. And you are able to consult with your neighbor, particularly on the drive home. Now, the letters of First and Second Timothy are strange, strange little letters in the Bible, because they're letters from Paul to Timothy. They're very personal, and Timothy's a pastor. So he's writing, he's writing to a pastor about his church. It's one of the reasons it makes First and Second Timothy difficult to teach in a church setting, because it's very raw. It's like pastor to pastor talk about the church, and so there's times it will feel unvarnished. If you go to a, a preacher's conference, it's never surprised if they say, "Open your Bibles to Second Timothy." Never surprised because it's it's a letter to preachers. But we have to be a little bit careful. And it just requires a little more work when we're sort of distilling it as the body. And so I just want to say, this is a letter from Paul the Apostle to a preacher, Timothy. He's a church leader. And there are some things, we're going to be looking at it and trying to draw some lessons from it about ourselves. But we're not, most of us are not Timothy. You know, the category of the church for a preacher is really small. And so, Timothy has a calling that's very clear. Timothy has um, a very unique, he's had hands laid on him. He's in a specific role. And all of those things make offering guidance easier. When you know someone's role, you can talk to them more easily. Okay, we're going to be asking that as a church in a much more general way. So as you're taking your quiz, if you can't write down things that are like as brilliant as Paul is writing for Timothy, don't feel bad. Uh, you're doing just fine. Um, but we're going to be w- sort of working through, and this will be the question. How do we present ourselves as approved work, workers before the Lord? Like when all is said and done, how will we present our, how will we know that we can present ourselves approved before the Lord? So we're going to look at what he says to Timothy, and then we're going to sort of extract it with ourselves in mind. So let's go ahead and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to, <clears throat> the, my teaching is going to pick up in verse 14, but I need to read from verse 11 there just to give a little bit of a preamble. Just before Paul starts to teach Timothy about how to do his job. He lays out 
elements of the gospel, or I would say first things of God, things that are central to our faith, that to have them wrong is to have really big things wrong. And so Paul's going to remind Timothy of these first things, and then he's going to go to help him say, here's how to do, here's, here's the practical thoughts about how to do ministry. But here's the first things, verse 11. The saying is trustworthy, <clears throat> and it's about Jesus. The saying about Jesus is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. These are sort of first things of the kingdom. And then after this is what follows. I'm going to read 14 and 15. Paul says to Timothy, Remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So Timothy's a preacher. And Paul instructs Timothy as though he's a preacher. He says, you want to know what your job is, Timothy? Your job is to remind the fellowship of these, these first things that I just said. Remind them of the first things and don't distract them with the second things. That's essentially what he says. Remind them of these things, which we just read. You know, If I've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure with him, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Right? Remind them of these things. And don't quarrel about these other little things. Correctly teach the truth, Timothy. Now, Timothy's the preacher. So this is, it's understandable that this would be Paul's teaching to him. Timothy, if you want to be a good workman, a good worker approved by God will do your job well. Carefully teach the first things of God and don't be distracted by these, the noise that's coming in, all these other issues in the church. Stay on the main issues. So my first question, this is question one. If you're doing your quiz, you can put a one. And I... I Go ahead and do it. Humor me. You don't need to write the question. The question's going to be on the board for you. But if the apostle was going to write you a letter encouraging you in your gifts and your talents, the gifts and talents he's put in you for his kingdom, what would he write? About what gift? What gift and what talent would he fan the flames of in you? Okay. You don't need to answer it quite yet. Let me give it a, a little more background. When you're thinking gifts and talents, I would say, I don't need you to get all Bible on me right now, like prophecy. The What are you good at? Okay, let's just start there. What are you good at? What jazzes you? 
you know, what refreshes you when you do something. Just think in life for a second, okay? Chances are your gift in the church, you're doing in other places. What do you do that gives you life? What do you do that you know you do pretty well, pretty naturally? So let think start there, and then I want you to rise above the task. So if you say, I'm good at soccer, okay? Well, let's be slow to call that your gift. And let's, let's just move one, let's go one step deeper. What's behind that? Like, what is the deeper joy in that? So, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, because what I want is for you to have a sense of how did God make me? In what way did he make me that when I fall in it, I'm right in the green of my life? You know, I'm just... Ah, just I, I sort of move so easily down this path. So this would be a bad answer if you put, you can dock a point here, if you put, I am a gifted math teacher. I'm not saying you're not. I'm, ass- I'm assuming you are if you put it. But I think there's a better, there's a deeper way of thinking about this. Okay, so if I said, well, think a little bit more deeply, you'd say, well, maybe I'm a good teacher. I'm a teacher. That's what I am. I'm a teacher. And I'd say, okay, well, I won't take anything off of that. But I'm going to ask you to go one step deeper than that. Why do you think you're a good teacher? What about teaching excites you? Because there's many different kinds of good teachers. So you could have somebody who says, you know what I love? I love Making something that's difficult to understand, understandable. Like that, that giving that gift, seeing the light bulb go off in someone else, is like the best. Okay? Another excellent teacher could say, I love the classroom environment. I love walking with this person sort of in life, giving them truths and helping them grow, helping them apply it into their own life. Okay? That's very different. Very different. One person is truth-oriented, one person is people-oriented. Very different gifts. A third one might say, well, truth is I like kids. Like, actually, I'm a terrible teacher with adults. I'm uncomfortable with adults because I'm kind of immature. There's always something in me that would rather, like, put on a clown nose or get, you know, the pasty sticks out with glitter. Like, I like, I have some play in me. Okay, now all three of those people might have written down, I'm a good teacher. And yet they are very different kinds of people. So, if an apostle was going to write to you about your gift, what would he encourage you in? Go ahead and write something down. I'll drink some water. You know, it is so important. And, uh, people like to know their gifts because they're curious. It's just like taking the, uh, well, personality tests, those sorts of things. There's some curiosity in it. But it's so important to know how you're made and how you're made unique 
Because in that is God's purpose. So often, that's where God is kind of ground zero of how God's going to use you. And sometimes when people are not introspectively curious, they become socially useless. <laughs> you become less useful to those around you because you don't know yourself. You don't know how you fit. And the people around you are, are peering into, peering through the dirty glass, trying to understand who this person is, trying to use them. And you're wondering, why, why is that not working out? Why is this not working out? It's such a great thing when you understand how you're made and how God's gifted you, because then you, the, uh, you should. You're obligated before the Lord when you know how you're made to appreciate he's purposeful in how he made you. And that comes back to us. Because he's made you for the body. Okay, question number two. Let's look at verses uh, 16 through 18. So he just said, do a good job handling the word of God, Timothy. You want to be a good preacher? Handle the word of God well. Okay, here's 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So if the first question is, what's your gift? The second question would be, what is the gotcha that sits around your gift, or the gap. Let me, let me show you from the word here. So Timothy's taught, hey, be a good teacher. Teach the first things well. But then he's warned, listen, do not chase every rabbit down every hole. People are going to get all, people in the church are going to get these hobby horse issues and these little things. Your job as the right teacher of truth is not to exhaustively argue truth in every corner of the church all the time. Don't do it. He says it'll move things from bad to worse. That's what he says. says, And the truth is, there's always heresy drifting around. You put two people together and something's going to be said that's not right. So, Timothy, teach the most important thing well all the time. And don't take the bait. Don't shine a light on a wrong teaching that doesn't deserve attention in the first place. A preacher expending their their influence on a petty subject elevates the petty subject. Don't do it. See, now you can imagine, I mean, Paul knows Timothy, right? He's his dearest beloved son. Paul knows Timothy. So it's almost as though in teaching Timothy about his gift, he's coming along also warning Timothy about his gotcha. Hey, you truth-oriented preacher, watch it. Watch your tendency. Don't do it. Like, exhibit restraint. Or things could go from bad to worse. So what I would like you to think about is around your gift, what is the gotcha that you 
if the apostle was going to write to you and say, do this, but watch out about that, what might he say? And I don't want you to think of manner of life right now, okay? We're talking about gifts, talents, skills, things you're good at, how you're made, okay? Not the morality of the subject. We'll get there eventually, but how are you made? You know, Pastor Rick, he's the interim down in Wilmington. He said to me many years ago, and maybe it's not original to him, but it was original to me through him. He said, your gift is always your weakness. And I found that to be so true. Your weaknesses are very often like hiding in the shadows of your gift. So I preach and I talk too much because my gift is my weakness, right? I mean, I got plenty of other weaknesses, but it's not about me today. It's about you and your quiz. So what's your gotcha? Like, you might say it this way. If you have the gift of service, okay, and I'm not saying I don't know you. I'm not saying this is true about you, but sometimes some people with the gift of service also become the martyr. They actually enjoy doing stuff so that they can leverage it. Is that a little passive aggressive in that? Like they do it, but they do it for the wrong motive? Or sometimes people who are servants have a fear of leading. So they're actually serving well because, thank God, they're not out front. Like some servants can't even lead themselves very well. Someone in a public ministry, praise team, preaching, leading, teaching, right? Uh, do you, be careful you don't do it for validation. Again, I'm, there's other gotchas here. I'm not giving you the whole list, okay? But someone like that, uh, maybe they do, do they do that because they're validated? Do, are they doing that in the acceptance of God or are they doing that for the acceptance of God? The v- drastically different natures of ministry there. To a leader, be careful that you don't leverage your power for your own sense of self-worth. You see it? You see how the gotcha can be? It's right up adjacent to your gift. Or it could be a gap. Okay, so maybe you have a, don't know, I can't think of your gotcha, but there's a gap. Like something in your life, you have a gift and you have a sense of it, but there's something else in your life you're not good at and it gets in the way of what you would otherwise be good at. So maybe you would say to me, I'm a pretty good teacher, but I'm shy. So I feel like I have things to say, but I'm gifted in saying them and describing them, but man, just the thought of doing it in front of 10 people is intimidating. That would be like a gap that you would need to be exhorted in If God's given you that gift, it ought to be used. Or it would be at least a way of saying, how can you best teach in really small settings? Or you could say, I'm really gifted as a servant. I'm a really gifted server, but I'm not reliable. I'm like frazzle-dazzle. Last minute. So like I'll text Sharla at 8.59 that I'm not going to be here today. But I'm a great servant. I mean, when I'm here, I love it. I love just holding on to those little babies and breathing in the life. Man, I, it, oh, I'm, well, I need to let you know something. If you're not reliable, no one else thinks you're a good servant. They think you're a terrible servant because you are. Because that gap, that 
gap in your personhood has spoiled your gift. So what is it? Take some time. If an apostle were writing you a letter, encouraging you in your gift, what might be the, watch out, but be careful. Go ahead and give it a try. Okay. The third one is the hardest one. And I, I'm reluctant to say you don't have to fill it out because I know the mind of the student. I was a terrible student. And if I didn't have to fill it out, I never filled it out. So I'll just give you an extended due date. Okay, have this filled out by like Wednesday or Thursday. And you know, this is all in good humor anyway. Let's look at verse 19 because it, it's a strange verse all by itself. But... He says in 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Well, what does that have to do with everything else we just talked about? It, it feels kind of like an isolated. It is, in fact, another. Paul is bringing another first thing to light. Okay, it doesn't feel like it flows because it doesn't. He's been giving Timothy some teaching, and now for some reason he feels the need to remind Timothy of God's nature. I mean, it's, he's not really teaching Timothy anything there. He's just reminding Timothy of God's nature. And, and his statement is, listen, God knows who's his, and if someone claims to be God's, we'll let them depart from iniquity, okay? So let's just backtrack, and maybe we can get some context for this. So... Verses 14 and 15, hey, rightly handle the word of truth. Remind the fellowship of the first things and keep the first things first. 16, 17, 18, avoid irreverent battle, babble. Don't chase these things. Don't, don't make something bad to worse by giving attention to something that ought not have attention to. And at the end of 18, there's a little phrase which is quite unnoticeable unless you're a pastor. And it's this one. Okay, I'll read all of 18. He's talking about this H guy and this P guy who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Here it is. They are upsetting the faith of some. Timothy, there's people in your church who are drifting from the cross of Christ. by the wrong thinking that's alive in the church that I'm telling you not to waste too much time on. Do you hear the, like the, the paradox in that? Avoid irreverent babble. Don't give something attention that ought not to have attention because it'll go from bad to worse. It'll spread like gangrene. In fact, some people have already drifted from it. Now, when the pastor, the normal pastor who hears this thinks, I have to do something because people are drifting from the faith. To which, at this very moment, is when Paul reminds Timothy of a first thing about God, which is, listen, you don't even know who's in the faith. God alone knows who's his. 
and let those who call the name of the Lord, let them depart from iniquity. In other words, Timothy, it's not your job to hold their hand into the kingdom. You're not responsible for their salvation. I'm responsible, and they answer to me. And this is really important for Timothy because for any, I should say, preacher, pastors and preachers in general will naturally deal with the fear of how the failure of someone in the flock reflects on their labor. Am I inadequate? Because they've walked away. And that's Paul saying, don't do that, Timothy. Don't do it. Right? I, I remember the names of people who I've baptized who've walked away. I had to sort through that. You know, the, the guilt, should I have, what, what else? Was it this? Was it that? Don't do that. Apply yourself to doing the first things first. And let those who claim to know the name of the Lord, let them depart from iniquity. It's sort of coming behind him saying, God's, God reigns. God's in charge. And they answer to God. Now, where does this matter, right? Tim, you're not a preacher. You're not a pastor. This is Timothy. Let's, so let's extract it. If the apostle was going to write to you, what first thing do you think he'd have to remind you of to guard your personhood? Because so often in the working out of our gifts, it's very often not far away from our fear, our fear and our gift, or our pers- someplace in us, our personhood meets our fear. And it's in that, right? The fears that we have are not of the Lord. In fact, when we usually understand them really well, they actually become, we see them as wicked lies. And they sometimes will drive us. This is a hard one. This is a hard one. This shouldn't be like, oh yeah, that's it for me. I mean, maybe it is for you. If it is, you're very introspective. That's a good thing. Let me give you some examples. Somewhere in your identity where your identity and your and fear meet. Just pick a servant again. Somebody who thinks, I really like to serve. Are you a people pleaser? Is that why you serve? Is that why you can't say no? There's a lot of fear back there. You know, do you, do you find yourself that you've said yes so many times that you spread yourself so thin that you now have anxiety? Why have you said yes so many times? Why have you so unwisely said yes? Because maybe there's something in your personhood that says, if I don't say yes, then they won't like me. And you fear it. Or, I have to say yes, I'm a servant. Do you hear the lies in those things? What would be, if the apostle was going to write you and build you up with a first thing, what would it be? Like, rescue you with a word of God. What would it be? That would encounter, sort of encounter the fear that drives you. If you're a non-servant, <laughs> someone who doesn't always say yes, in fact, you always say no, 
you know, like we have this thing called pedal in the hallway. The, the ask is to work like four of 16 weeks. Like as an outsider looking in, that ain't all that much. I understand if it is for some, but still, if you really, if you find that you always say no, right now you're kind of offended, just so you know. That's how you know it's you. I don't always say no. Yeah, that's you. So now that we've zeroed in, <clears throat> why do you do that? Why, why? Are there consistently good excuses for you not to serve God's kingdom here? I mean, is it a sense of inadequacy? Is it a sense of you don't want to be relied upon or you don't want to, you don't want to lose your autonomy? What is that? And what would be the if God could just breathe into this letter from the apostle something about his nature, what would he say to you? I think it's a great question. I think it's probably too hard to answer today, but I think it is a question we should all ask. We got one more. One more question. Just enough time. Okay, so, so far I've been talking about giftedness and the gotchas and sort of the, the, the work of the the nature of God coming in behind us to protect us in the working of our giftedness and the protection of our gotchas and our gaps, okay? That's what we've been talking about so far. Then we get to verse 20. New subject. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. <clears throat> so there are times in the Bible where you'll get this disparity, honorable, dishonorable, or fancy and not fancy. And the Bible, depending on who's saying it and why they're saying it, sometimes it's not a qualitative thing. So Paul will, in another letter, say, the body of Christ is made up of many parts. And there's some parts that get a lot of respect and attention, and there's some parts that actually we cover up and get great discretion. And when he's doing that, He's not actually making a qualitative de decision about one being better than the other. He's saying there's just different kinds of people. Here, this is qualitative. I just want you to see that. It, what he's not saying is, is in the church, there's all different kinds of vessels. Some are for honorable uses and some are for dishonorable uses. Which vessel are you? It's not what he's doing. If you look at verse 21, he actually says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. The notion is, <clears throat> in the house of God, there are those who, whose manner of life is suitable or honorable 
for the use of God, and there's those whose manner of life is not suitable or dishonorable, and there's a teaching, which is flee that lifestyle, pursue holiness, love, peace, righteousness, a pure heart, seek those things, and in doing so, you'll become honorable. Right? It's not a fixed state. So think about this in all of your giftedness. <clears throat> okay, so, so far we've talked a lot about giftedness, talents, skills, what you're good at, what you've got to watch out for. Over here is all of that. And over here is this statement about manner of life. In light of what was just said, which matters most in making us useful? From the Word. It's manner of life. It's manner of life that matters. He says, listen, I mean, he didn't talk about giftedness right now, but he essentially says, it doesn't matter who you are. If your life is defiled, you are useless. It doesn't matter about your gift. In fact, to have a great gift and not have taken on the qualities and natures of God or to not pursue the qualities and nature of God alongside of your gift is tragic and dangerous. A very gifted person in the wrong direction is a very dangerous person. What, he, what Paul's saying here, he's turning now to, and he'll do this throughout the letters. He'll say to one point to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine carefully. You see that? So what he's turning now to is his manner of life and saying, listen, along the way, your usefulness, your usefulness to the kingdom, your honorability in the house of God is known not by the way you apply yourself to your gift, but the way you apply your life to God. Your gift makes you uniquely useful. Uniquely useful. But your manner of life makes you useful. And there's, so there's good news and bad news about this. Those of you who are all about your gift, but are immature, are not useful. And those of you who like go, I don't even know if I'm good at anything. Like in number one, you kind of, remember in grade school, you'd do like a T and an F to make it, because you weren't sure is it a true or false? So it was like an F and a T together, and you're just hoping the teacher would be like, Lord, help her think it's the right one. Like maybe in number one, you're so unsure of yourself. You're like, I'm kind of a nice person-ish on good days. You're like so humble about your gift. I want to encourage you to say, listen, your usefulness to the kingdom is not hanging on you knowing your gift. Your usefulness to the kingdom is on you pursuing Jesus Christ. That is the wide open door to matter to the kingdom. And as you learn yourself and discover your gift, you become uniquely useful. You get those ahas on here's, here's how I get the, the kingdom of God or the house of God or even in your workplace, right? Just in your life, here's how I gain double for half the effort when I'm in my gift. But if you're in Christ, you matter and you're useful. And it seems to me, just from the tenor of this text, that 
Paul would much rather Timothy living his life around a few people with a pure heart than a wildly gifted crowd that's stuck on the wrong subjects. What's your gift? What's the gotcha that's around your gift? Or the gap in, in your personhood that you know, like, it's, it's okay if I'm not great at this, but it's terrible if I'm horrible at this. Yeah. What's the first thing that God would want to remind you of to save you from that personhood fear? And are you on your way to being an honorable vessel in the house of God? If the apostle were going to write to you, what manner of life thing would he encourage you about? What would he pick? That's the fourth one. If the apostle were going to write to you a letter and kind of call something out in your life, kind of, hey, work with me on this. I mean, for Timothy, he's a young pastor. Flee youthful passions. It makes sense to me. I mean, maybe it makes sense to you. Maybe it's like, yeah, it'd be the same thing for me. Or maybe it wouldn't be. What would it be? Would be be patient. Foster forgiveness. What would it be? Because if we mature well, we'll plant. The kingdom of God will spread. And it will grow. Because that's how God does it. Let's pray. Lord, be with us, we pray. In all of this work, as we recollect and think, Lord, the work of thinking about you and us, I pray, Lord, that some people t- this week would just drive with the radio off, sort of work on their quiz, that they would offer you the thoughtfulness that merits your response. May we be genuine God-seekers, Lord, not fake God-seekers. We long that the items in this home would be honorable. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.